sacrifice. Uh, there is nothing better that we can give our lives to than Jesus Christ. And so uh, I, I, don't, I don't know why I told you all that. I'm just excited. Um, today's a big day. How many football fans we got? Yeah, big day. We got, we got the NFL going on. We got the championship. Uh, we got, we're down to four teams uh, in, in the NFL. I know some of you don't care, and some of you are ready for a pastor who's not doing sports illustrations every week, but that's all right. You got three or four more weeks of me, and you're going to get them. Uh, here, here's my prediction. Uh, there's a game that people are playing, and, and I don't suggest that you play this game. It's, it's every time they show Taylor Swift, you have to take a drink. And people are getting really hammered because it's like every second is a picture of Taylor Swift. Here's what I want to ask you to do. And I think this is going to really lead to breakthrough for our church. Every time they show Taylor Swift, will you pray for the church? (laughs) Will you pray for Grace Marietta? And I think, like, if we all do this, the favorite, I mean, that's like 7,000 prayers today. Like, every time they show her, we're just praying. Uh, uh, my prediction, here's my predictions for the, for the day. Uh, my prediction is uh, Ravens-Chiefs really close game. Uh, getting Coming down to the line, if it's close, if it's close, last drive of the game, the refs will get involved for the Chiefs. That's my prediction, <laughs> is there will be a situation where the, re- where the Chiefs get a free touchdown or something. We're just going to give them three points or something like that. Like, that happens every year around this time. The NFL really loves Patrick Mahomes and the Allstate commercials. They really love the Kelsey brothers, and one of them just retired. Uh, he's got his shirt off, apparently. I don't know what he's doing. Uh, and, and they really, really, the NFL is such big Taylor Swift fans, like more than the middle school kids are right here, more than all these middle school girls are, uh, Roger Goodell loves Taylor Swift, and so I'm thinking they're going to figure out a way to make that happen. Um, I'm excited to watch those games. I don't care about any of those teams. I just, it's just fun for me to watch football and enjoy it. Uh, Here's the thing. Every single NFL team, when they started the year, their goal was to be playing today. That was their goal. That was their vision. Right? The, the, the Carolina Panthers and the Atlanta Falcons, their vision was we're going to be playing on this weekend to play to get into the Super Bowl. Everybody had that vision. They put things like they invested so much money, right? Think about the amount of money an NFL team invests. Like they pay their coaches. They've got their facilities. They've got their stadiums. They're building new stadiums. They've got, they're paying these players crazy amounts of money, and all of them are managing all of their money and all of their dollars and all of their resources because they want to play in two weeks. But there'll only be two at the end of the day today. And so the question for me that I always think about when I think about these things is if if everybody has the same goal, how do some people get there and others don't? How does it work for some? Like like the Carolina Panthers, who I, I don't know, did they win two games this year, three games? Two, oh, you know very clearly. Two games, two games. Uh, they won two games this year. Like that, their goal was to be playing in the Super Bowl. And they thought they had a chance, right? It might have been a slim chance, but they thought they had a chance at the very beginning of the year. And so if everybody starts with the same goal, the, the question is like, it's not so much about the goals that we set, but it's about the habits that we create. And given sometimes you just hit the lottery with a quarterback, right? You find the right guy at the right time. You find the right players. You find the right people to be on the team. And all of a sudden, success starts to come. 
Every church I know, their mission statement, their vision, their values are all similar. We want to give glory to God. We want to reach people who aren't reached. We want to bless the community. We want to serve. We want to care. We want to, whatever those things are, we, there's all similar vision and value statements. They all start the season with the same idea in mind that we're going to be successful with all of this. The reality, though, is like some of these are lived values for people and some of them aren't. And so the question that I ask whenever we go into this vision and value series that we're in right now is how do we actually live out our values? Like, how do we live into them? How does this become more about our culture and and the kingdom culture that we're creating within our community than about some things we write on the wall? And so I always talk about aspirational values and lived values. We want these values to be lived values. So this would be a terrible sermon series if these values are just for the staff. This would be a terrible sermon series if these values are just for the board. It would be a terrible sermon series if these values are just for a few of us. The the idea is, as we talk about these core values, as we talk about soaking the altar, as we talk about passing the cloak, and today as we talk about wrecking the roof, what we're talking about is values that we're inviting you into. Because culture is created when people buy in. That's the one thing I can tell you. The one difference between teams that are successful and teams that are not is there is buy-in from the team. I was a basketball coach for many, many years, and, and the hardest thing to do as a basketball coach is to persuade people to live into their role on the team. Because there's some people like, I do not want you shooting the ball at the end of the game, please. Right? That is not your role. But every kid on the team wants to be the one that shoots the buzzer beater, right? The reality is every team has one, if you're really good, maybe two kids that you want shooting at the end of the game. So you've got to figure out what is the role of the team and how do we create a culture that allows us to thrive. And and, and the role never works when half the team is involved and half of them aren't. Right? When half the team is bought in and half of them aren't. Uh, This week, the Milwaukee Bucks coach got fired. They're, I think, number two. Uh, in, in their conference right now. They've got a great team. They've got prob- arguably the best player in the NBA on their team. Adrian Griffin lost his job. The, the, the phrase that came out was he lost the locker room. They were incredibly successful, doing really well, but somehow along the way, the team stopped buying in and they felt like our potential is so much greater if everybody buys in. This is what I want to say to you. If I am the general manager... <laughs> of the Grace Marietta fantasy church team. We need buy-in. We need buy-in from everybody. If we're going to create a kingdom culture, we all have to be bought in to who we're going to become. And so today we're going to talk about Wreck the Roof. It's the sermon that I've, I've preached the most here at Grace Marietta. I went back and looked at my notes, and every single year uh, when we do our vision and value series, everybody's like, Ben, you're preaching Wreck the Roof. Uh, Because for me, this is what gets me excited. I love the apostolic. I love dreaming. I love thinking about that next thing and the new thing that God is birthing or creating or making. I love thinking about how do we innovate and how do we create creative ways for people to get to Jesus? How do we get the church outside of the box and into the kingdom? Uh, So our vision statement is we want to awaken each other to live kingdom dreams in a world that's fast asleep. 
All the, all the language around that is really intentional. But we believe that the church is an equipping place and that the job of the church is to equip God's people to live out their faith in their everyday life. And so our job is to help them versus a few of us working for the kingdom and living this out. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 5. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 5. It, it, it's a story that is familiar to you if you have been around the church. It's one of those felt board ones that we got when we were kids. For those of you who are as old as me, uh, where they would show kind of the little people on the felt board. It was really amazing, the technology back then. Um, Jesus has just healed a leper. Uh, he has, my, Claire used to say he healed the leopard uh, when she was a little girl. We would do devotionals, and she was like, I love it when Jesus heals the leopards. Uh, which would add a whole new kind of thing to the story if there was like, we're at church, and there's some leopards around, and... Uh, uh, this is one of the three signs that he was the Messiah. It's something that had been prophesied about in Isaiah. Uh, it's something that had not been done before. Everyone is curious. Everyone is thinking, like, who is this Jesus that is teaching with this new level of authority, that's healing, that's saying all these things? Who is this guy? So everybody is curious about Jesus. So when Jesus comes into a city, everybody's coming out to him. The crowds are gathering. People are showing up. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. One day, Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. Uh, for, for those of you who will teach in any capacity, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are always sitting there. Right? Some of you, let the listener know, right? Some of you know, like, if you're going to teach, there's always going to be someone who is not looking for the best in what you're saying, but is looking for the worst in what you're saying. There's always somebody out there who's going to be critical of everything that you do. There's always someone who's going to be critical of the vision, critical of the next thing, critical of the next idea, critical of the thing that you're stepping into. My, uh, if you don't have critics, you're probably not doing anything of value. You will have critics if you're leaning into the kingdom. And they will be sitting there waiting for you to fail, waiting to criticize and, and my statement to the critics is always, don't criticize me for doing something in the kingdom when you're doing nothing. When you're doing amazing things for the kingdom, come and criticize me all you want. When you're sitting on your rear every week, listening to me do things for the kingdom, don't send me an email. Right? So for your next pastor, I'm just giving you a little heads up. Whoever that person is, he doesn't care who you're voting for. I'm, I'm being very serious. In three to six months, the church is going to be going crazy about all kinds of nonsense about this candidate or this candidate. Let's just be honest. Both candidates are absolutely terrible. This is, we, we cannot find a good human being to run for president in our country. If your faith is in the presidential election, it's all in the wrong place because those are two terrible candidates. Our faith is in Jesus Christ, right? We have no hope if our hope is in two different candidates. Don't send the new pastor things. Don't criticize the vision that the new pastor has. The new pastor is going to come in and they're going to change things that I started and you will support them and you will love them and you will never say to them, we've never done it that way or that's not the way we've done it before or Ben didn't do it that way. I don't want this person to ever hear my name, right? I want them to hear, is God calling us to do this? And if he is, yes and amen. 
We're going to support. We're not going to be the teachers of the law who are sitting there waiting. So the teachers of the law are there. And then there are others that had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. And some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. And they tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. This is a hysterical story, right? There's so much good in here. Like this is some redneck logic at its highest degree, right? I, I don't know if any of you have like a family where like when your dad and your brothers get together, they come up with creative ways to do nonsensical things. Like, that's what's going on. This is like the guy who's driving down the highway with a mattress on top of his car holding it with his hand. <laughs> I got this. Right? This is what's going on. It's that kind of logic. Uh, I, I saw an amazing YouTube video the other day where it was this guy with his dad, and he was like, they were fixing something in the house, and he was like, Dad, I need a board that has this kind of, and it's like this really bizarre shaped board. And the dad's like, oh, and he's so excited, and he sprints downstairs, and he looks through a thousand boxes and comes up with that exact thing and says, I've been saving this for 22 years in my basement for this moment moment for such a time as this. Uh, that's my father. My dad has boxes and boxes of things. Like all, all of us, we've got these, these things that we're just waiting to fix these things. We're waiting to do these things. My hunch is that the paralytics friends were really excited about this in some capacity, right? There was something about them that was like, yeah, let's tear up that roof. And they're like, yes, let's do it. There was this just excited. Uh, but, but, but a little bit about the paralytic before we, before we go too far, because this is a very different experience for a paralytic in Jesus' time than it is now. There are no social services to help this person. There's no medicine. There's no wheelchairs. There's no, like none of the modern things. As somebody who has just had a hurt ankle and has scooted around on a scooter and had a wife that drove me everywhere, um, my wife just literally, I got to drive this week and my wife literally just left town. She was like, I, I've been taking care of you for three months. I'm out. I'm going to Ohio for a while. Uh, and so she's spending time with her family. Like as somebody who's been taken care of over the last three months, that's not the, that's not the way the culture was then. And, and, and to add to that, most people who had some kind of disease or physical ailment, they were viewed by many as being cursed. Remember when the, when the disciples came to Jesus and they said, this person's sick, who, who sinned? Was it his dad? Was it his mom? Who, they're asking, like, who, why is he cursed? And so in church settings, the paralytic shows up and they think the paralytic has done something to cause that in his life, Right? And so there's this deep shame that's associated with it. There's this deep, like, I can't live unless someone is taking care of me. I don't know the paralytic's family. I don't know his family situation. I don't know if he's the only child. I don't know if his parents are elderly. I don't know what's happening. But this paralytic is so lucky because he has friends. There is a community that is willing to take care of them. They may be rednecks, but they are ready to take care of them. I always imagine the owner of this house. Like the owner was like, yeah, sure, Jesus, you can come in. And then all of a sudden, someone's just carrying, like just, you hear like a drill or something. Like they're just sawing through the roof. And you're like, come on, guys. Like, 
We used to have missional community at our house when my kids were little. And so when my kids were like six, seven, eight years old, we'd have all these families over to our home and they would all bring their kids. And every single week, one of my kids' toys got broken. Like there was just a thousand kids running around our house and some of them were just apparently snapping G.I. Joe men in half or something like that. Like they were just, every single week there was something that was broken. And, and we had to have all these conversations with our kids about like people are more important than our things. It's okay. Things are going to get broken, right? This is what this guy's wife is trying to tell him. Like it's okay. Look, G- the savior of our world is standing and preaching. We can fix the roof. We're going to be okay. Like there's all of these things that are happening in the midst of this. But, but here's the phrase I want us to focus on. The phrase here says, when they could not find a way. When they could not find a way. And so here's the question that I want to ask. Where do we go when we can't find a way? When in our individual life, you cannot figure it out. You cannot find a way. Where do we go? And I'm not just suggesting like we pray. I think we all got that, right? We, we, when we don't know what, where to go, we, we turn to God, we, we pray, we ask him. But, but the question that I want to ask is, are we actually willing to try a different way? Are we actually willing to risk? Are we actually willing to put ourselves out on the line? Are we actually willing to sacrifice? Are we actually willing to risk embarrassment? Are we actually willing to invest our dollars and our generosity and our money in something that may not work, but if it does, what would happen? Uh, When we cannot find a way, what do we do? I I think for many of us, we, we don't have a committed spiritual resilience. Are you with me? Like, we, we kind of like to pray for stuff, and then just we want God to do it all, right? I'm going to pray that God would reach my neighbors and that they would come to, the, to faith, but I'm not really willing to do too much around that. I might take them cookies occasionally. I might every once in a while do something, but what I really want is I want God to do all the work without me because I'm pretty busy. And the reality is that's how so many of us live in the kingdom. Like, like we want God to move. We want miraculous things. We want incredible things. But the question is, when we cannot find a way, are we willing to lean into innovation? Are we willing to think about wrecking the roof? Are we willing to dream something bigger? Are we willing to risk? Are we willing to step into anything? We, we, we oftentimes, we don't have the stomach for tearing up the roof. And the church, let's just be honest, is not famous for doing new things. The church has kind of done the same thing for a really, really long time. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm getting pretty old. I turned 50 this year. And my church services when I was one are pretty similar to our church services now. Like, where else does that happen? If you watch movies from 50 years ago, they're terrible. Are you with me? They're all really bad. And if you like them, it's just because you have fond memories of them, right? Star Wars is not that cool, guys, anymore, right? It's a great movie. It was a great movie in 1974 or whatever year it was out, right? But now it's like, it's, it's kind of lame. Like, it, that's, a, that's a model plane that somebody has on a string, right? <laughs> like, you can see that very, very clearly. Uh, like, like, you look back and, and, and things, but the church just doesn't change, 
It, I mean, our songs maybe, like, I, I'm really glad we're not singing the same songs we sang 50 years ago. Kayla, thank you. Like, I'm, I'm really glad that there's like some, but, but for the most part, we're kind of doing the same thing we've done for the last 50 years. So when we can't find a way to get the breakthrough, where do we go? When we can't find a way to reach our family or our neighbor or our kids, where do we go? What do we do? We can't find a way in our marriage. Where do we go? What do we do? We can't find a way to get healing. Where do we go and what do we do? We can't find a way in our finances. Where do we go and what do we do? Uh, My wife and I lived in Louisville, Kentucky for many years. Uh, You got to say that kind of like you have rocks in your mouth. This is the proper way to say it. Louisville. Everybody say it. Louisville. Yeah, it's not Louisville. It's not Louisville. Stop it. Right? You guys need to stop it. That is not appropriate. Uh, You say it like you have rocks in your mouth. Uh, And so we lived in Louisville for a long time. And as we lived there, we lived downtown and we lived right next to the finish line for the Iron Man. And so every year the Iron Man would come and it was always in kind of like the summer, end of the summer. And the finish line was, was like walkable. It was like three blocks away. So they would close our street, which was terribly inconvenient on that day as far as driving because we couldn't drive in or out of our house because there was lots of people running. Uh, and then there would be people that would like line up in front of our house because we're close to the finish line. And they would ring bells and they would shout and they would cheer on their favorite person and all these things. And Sarah and I would just get drawn into it every year. We were always like, this is kind of cool. Like, it's kind of annoying that there's some guy with a giant cowbell in my front yard. But there's something fun about what's happening. Uh, and there's something like, that's, it's a 2.4-mile swim, which that doesn't sound terrible. Like, how many of you think I could probably do that? None of you? <laughs> we got to work on our, 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 just like, I'm not saying you could do it fast. I'm just saying, like, you could probably, you wouldn't drown. How many of you? Okay, we got work on our swimming, guys. Let's work on that. Everybody get in the pool a little bit, do some cardio, something. Here's where it gets crazy, a 112-mile bike ride. I'm, as soon as I hear that, I'm out. Like the swimming, I'm like, oh, it's, I, I won't die, I don't think. Like I think I could do that. 112 miles, like, I don't, that's far away. What, what's 112 miles from here? Yeah, people are naming counties. Like, this is what we do. Uh, there's, uh, we don't name cities or actual locations. There's Atlanta, and then there's counties. That's what we do in Georgia. Uh, uh, um, there's all these places. Like, that's far away. I, like, is that Chattanooga? Yeah? Are we getting close there at least? Like, that's a, that's a long drive. That's, we're getting past Bucky's going north, right? <laughs> If I'm riding a bike up there, I'm stopping at Bucky's and getting some of those almonds with the little thing or like a brisket sandwich at the gas station. Like, I don't know, a, a onesie, something. Uh, you're getting something there. And then you, then there's a 26-mile run, which I'm like, that's nuts. Like, who, I, I, 26 miles. Like, when I was at my best, I could probably run five miles. At my best. That was when I was 20, Right? Uh, yeah, that, that's crazy. So what we would do is we would go to the finish line, and there was all these people that would finish. And there's this beautiful thing that happens at the finish line of an Ironman. I don't know if you've ever been to one. 
but everybody's there. Your family's there. Everybody's cheering. And these people are exhausted when they get to the finish line. There are different levels of exhaustion. Like some of them, you can tell this is the first time they've tried this, right? And they're thinking this was a terrible idea, uh, right? But as everybody finishes, there's an announcer, and the announcer will say the name of the person that finishes. So they will say, like, Benton Cranford is an Iron Man as they cross the finish line. And everybody cheers. And when you're at the finish line, you get like drawn into it. You're just like, you're cheering for everybody. I don't know who that guy is, but man, he just rode his bike for 112 miles. I think I should clap for him, right? Like there's, you get drawn into this. There's this beautiful like connection and support and family. And I wonder what would happen if the church was more like that. I wonder if we looked at each other and said, like, what is the Iron Man thing that you want to see God do in your life that feels impossible? And then we stood at the finish line and cheered when people were going. Or we handed them water along the path. Or we stood in somebody's yard and rang the cowbell. Like, I wonder what the church would change or how we would look differently if that's the level of community we adopted and we had There is this apostolic impulse inside of all of us. And I know I talk about it all the time. And there's people that come to me all the time. And they're like, I'm just not a dreamer. And I'm like, yes, you are. It's in you. There is a God dream in the heart of every single believer. There is a good work that has been prepared for you in advance. God knew you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He created you with your gifts and your talents and your skills and your mind and your heart and your looks and the things that you love. He deposited all of that in you because he wants to get that out of you. He wants to bless you so that you will be a blessing. And he has given every single follower of him a God dream. And that God dream is better than anything you could ever imagine or hope for. All of those things are in us that says, let's dream. Let's not quit. Let's keep trying. And if you talk to those Iron Man people, they'll always tell you a story of somewhere on the path where they wanted to quit. Right? Which for me would have been like mile two. Right? But for them, like, it's like I was, I was on mile 80 and I hit a wall. And I had to go mind over matter. I had to keep pushing. I had to keep going. I had to keep moving. I had to keep stepping into it. And I don't think we have that kind of resilience in the church. And I realize that's ironic from a pastor who's quitting. (laughs) But I'm not quitting Jesus. You guys need to know that. I'm not quitting my kingdom dream. I'm actually, the harder thing for me to do right now is to quit the church and pursue the new dream that God is placing in me versus to stay and live out the dream that he's given me in the past. That sometimes is the greatest challenge. It's it's, will I have the courage to step out of my normal and try a 2.0? Will I try something different? Will I live into something different? Will I step into something different? Think about these guys. Their plan A was just We're going to walk to the front and get this guy to Jesus, right? That's plan A. That didn't work, right? The crowds were big. There was no room to get in the house. I always just, like, just imagine this room so full that nobody could get through the back doors or the side doors at all. That's that's what's happening there. They tried that. Plan B was like, I think, say excuse me. 
right? What, I mean, if I'm thinking, I'm like, hey, I got a, I got a buddy here who's like, you can see where he's on his mat. We're carrying him. Could we just like kind of get him in the room? And apparently there was some mean old people in the back that were just like, nope, you're not getting through. It's not happening. Plan C would be like, maybe you swing some elbows, right? Maybe you like try the aggressiveness kind of thing. Like, I don't know, you're, you're just like kind of boxing out to get him to the front. I don't know what you're doing. Like that, I, I'm thinking through all these plans. I'm wondering how many plans it gets to before it's like, let's climb up on the roof and tear that up. Do we have the resilience for that? Or do we get to plan C and we're just like, yeah, this is too hard. I don't think God wants me to do this. We, we have this thought that if it's hard, God isn't in it. And I want to suggest to you, if it's difficult, then I think God's in it. If it's challenging, I think God's in it. And the thing that God wants, this is, this is a crazy thing. God just doesn't want the results like we do. God wants us to become the type of people who trust him in the process. And so sometimes things are difficult exactly because God is present and at work. Our theology is wrong that says God is only present when things are going great. God's presence is with us when things are bad, when things are hard, when things are difficult. So I wonder if we've lost the impulse. Uh, I, I wonder if the sad news for all of us is it's easier to wreck the roof anywhere than it is the church. Like I know people that are negotiating peace in places, and it's easier for them than it is to change the color of a carpet at church. Like There are so many things that are hard to change and hard to do and difficult to step into. I, I wonder how often we are the crowd. Like every time you read a biblical story, you find yourself in the story, right? And, and I think in this story, we're all like, we're the paralytic's friends. We're the friends. We're near, or, or maybe if you're like, yeah, there's something going on in your life, I'm the paralytic, right? That's where we find ourselves in the story. I think more often than not, we're the people standing in the back, not letting them in. I think more often than not, we're the ones standing in the back, gathered, facing forward towards what's happening up here, rather than turning outward towards what's happening in the world. I think so often, we're the crowd. We're the ones blocking it. We're being the crowd when as a church, we care more about keeping things intact than we care about restoring lives that have been shattered. It's what happens to a church when they get more upset about a mess being made around the place than we get excited about messy people being cleaned up. It's when we get more upset about stuff being broken than we get excited about broken things being mended. It's when the church exists for itself and turns its back on the outside of the house and literally says, to hell with you, I want my preferences. And I can say whatever I want because I'm on my way out. And so here's what I want to say. I don't care about your preferences. I don't care about what songs you like. I don't care about what night of the week is convenient for you. I don't care about anything. If you know Jesus and you are in the kingdom, my job is not to take care of you. My job is to get all of those people out there who don't know them in here. And when the church 
get so focused, and I've said this for a really long time, and I'm just going to be honest with you guys today. It is so hard for a pastor to go out and reach the world because they're so consumed with taking care of all the needs in here. And if I don't take care of my time appropriately, I will spend 95% of my time responding to things that are happening inside of here, which only leaves 5% of my time to respond to anything that's happening out here. What if we just decided, guys, we're going to change that model and that modality? And that doesn't mean, please hear me, guys. There are times when you need the church and you need your pastor. I am not suggesting when you are in need, you don't call and you don't talk and you don't reach out. We want to be that type of community that is here with you when you're in the fire and when you're struggling and when you need counsel and when you need love and when you need somebody to pray for you or when you're in the hospital. We want to do all of those things. What we don't want to do is argue with you about the color of the carpet. Stop wasting my time. I don't care about the color of the carpet. I, 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 I honestly, like, I, I wish I had the courage three years ago to start saying these kinds of things. Because when we are focused on the world out there, we're going to make a difference. And when we're focused on keeping every single person in here happy, it all falls apart. Like, I, I've got a family of five. Uh, I've got a, uh, a, a junior in college who's getting ready to be a senior in college, which is crazy to me. Uh, I've, I've got a freshman in college, and I've got a freshman in high school in my family. We cannot find anything that those three like together. There, there is no TV show that they like. They all like it. There's no movie that they all like. There's no song that they all like to listen to in the car. There is no, and then you throw in my wife also. Like, there is nothing. Like, there is nothing. There's no, there's no restaurant that they agree on. I can't get my five people to agree on anything. Imagine how hard it is for a pastor to get 500, 300, 700, 200 people to agree on everything. We are not going to agree on everything. It's just not going to happen. We're not all going to love every song that we sing every single week. There are people that wish we would sing more hymns. There are people that don't want us to sing any hymns. There are people that want us to sing only Hillsong, and there's people that want us to sing only Mav City, and there's people that want us to write our own music. Like, if you just think about the music, like, you, you know how we've tried to create the music that we do up here? We have not asked, what do the people in our pews want? We have asked, what does our community want? What's the style of our community? What's the culture of our community? What's the music that we can invite people into that makes them feel comfortable? We've got to start thinking about the world and not thinking about it in here. I'm, I'm getting off on all kinds of different things. The crowd says you're making a mess. The crowd's annoyed. But then Jesus has a completely different spot, response. Verse 20, it says, when Jesus saw, and, and, and look at the word there, their faith. Some of the other versions say, saw his friend's faith. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. I love Jesus, man. Jesus is awesome. He's a showman. Don't let anybody tell you that Jesus doesn't know exactly what he's doing every time he does something. Who's sitting right in front of him? All the critics. All the critics. And they're all starting to really love him right now, right? They're all starting to get really excited. He's healing people. He's teaching they lower this guy. Everybody's like, what is going on? Everybody's in shock. Everybody's a little annoyed because Jesus was like in the middle of part three of a three-point sermon, and he was just getting to the part that rhymed and iterated, and he had like an acrostic up there where it was like P 
P-A-T-H, path, and he was just, at, he got the T, and, and everybody was so excited about it, and everybody was so into it, and everybody was ready for it. And this guy lowers down, and Jesus is, like, the first thing he says is like, man, this is awesome faith. Your sins are forgiven. Which, think about all, think about everybody's response to that. All right, so first of all, think about the critics. They're instantly like, who is this guy that's, at, that's forgiving sins, right? They literally say that all the time. Let's arrest him and let's kill him, right? That's instantly what they're doing. Everybody else in the room is like, what is going on? I don't even know what's happening. I think he's been healing people. So why is he forgiving sins? I think this guy needs forgiven. The friends are up there like, yeah, no, that's not why we sent him down there. The poor guy on the ground is like laying in front of him and he's like, well, that's not why we did this. Like, thank you, but could we talk about something else? Like, could we get further in there? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, which is pretty amazing. They're thinking this. They're not even saying it yet. Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he said, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to your, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? And my thought is the guy on the ground is like, let's do that part. <laughs> like, let's, let's do that second part. Let's, let, hey, I like, I like number two. Can we go with option number two? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he says to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them. He took what he had been lying on and he went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. And they were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. I want to give you just two spiritual principles that I think are at play in this that matter for us today. The first is that sometimes we have faith to receive a simple miracle, but not the big one. Are you with me? Think about your own life. What's the big miracle that you're asking for? What's the big breakthrough that you've been praying for for a long time? What's the thing that you maybe haven't just prayed about for a week or two, but you've prayed about for a decade or two? I think sometimes we have faith that God is going to do something small, but not that God is going to do something big. And I wonder what shifts in us when we start to believe that my God is capable of doing anything. I wonder what shifts in us when we start to have faith that God is working all things to good, that God is putting all things back together, that God is a good father who wants to give us good gifts, that God is not always giving us exactly what we want, but he is giving us what we need and that we can trust and pray for greater things than what we received. It was so fun worshiping with the Grace family. Last, it was last week, I think. Uh, and, and we've celebrated 40 years. The Grace family's been in existence for 40 years. But what was better than that was we looked forward to the next 40 years. And man, I think about the last seven, eight years that I've been your pastor, and I can tell you story after story of wins and breakthroughs and amazing things and power of God moments and things that you would say only God could do it, things where you say, won't he do it, like things where you would just say, this is only God. But there's a list of a bunch of other things that we've prayed for that haven't happened yet. 
that I think are going to happen in the next seven years. And I've got faith for it. I think we're seeing the first fruits of some of the things that God is going to do. We're seeing just the sprouts of it. And there is something birthing that is way bigger. Here's the second spiritual principle. There are times when we have to place ourselves in position to receive. We have to move before God moves. And there's a lot of us that want to pray for the miracle but don't want to wreck the roof. Like, think about this. There is this guy who, I don't know if he's like trying to talk his friends out of it or if he's trying to persuade them to do it. I would have loved to be in on that conversation. I'm gonna ask those questions when I get to heaven, right? Like, were you like, yeah, man, let's tear up the roof? Or were you like, no, don't stop. No, guys, this is super embarrassing. I like the embarrassing angle better, right? I don't know, I don't, I don't know. And he's being lowered down there and all of those things. I, I love 2 Chronicles 20, verse 17, where it just says this. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and O Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. There is a battle that is in front of you. This is a spiritual principle that is so true, and I've talked about it a lot in my preaching over the years. God is always saying, you have won the battle, you have victory, now go fight. This is what I think the church does. We want the victory without the fight. We want the miracle without seeding it in prayer, without the sacrifice, without tearing up the roof, without doing the work, without going through option A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K. We want just option. We got, you got three options for me. If it doesn't happen, I'm out. I've lost my faith for it. And I think God is looking for dreamers who will dream bigger, who will trust that he is good, who will believe that the kingdom is right here in front of us, who will seek first the kingdom of God, and then all of those things will be added to us, but they have to do the work. So God says, go out, fight the battle. That's, that's legit stuff at this time, right? That's, I'm strapping on a sword and some kind of armor, and I am walking out into a field where I'm going to try and kill somebody with a sword. That's what go fight means. But then he's saying, I've given you the victory. And I don't know if many of us are willing to strap on the armor and get out there and swing. I've said this for a really long time. Every time I'm looking for who I'm going to disciple and invest in, when I'm looking for who are our young leaders, sometimes people are ask, us, ask me like, hey, how did Grace Marietta develop such really good leaders around us? Because we've hired a bunch of young leaders who grow into something that's pretty cool. And over and over again, I say this, and this is what I look for in every staff person we hire. I want somebody who's a little feisty. I want somebody who's got some fight in them. I want somebody who's not passive. I want somebody who believes that God is good, who trusts that he's working and is willing to strap on the armor and get in the fight. And I think the kingdom of God needs more leaders that are doing that, not just working on staff, but working in our schools, working in, uh, in any area, any field, in our business world, like all over the place. We need some leaders who are ready to put themselves in the right position. Are we the people who are positioning ourselves and those we love in a place where we can receive what God has for us? Or are we waiting for him to do something? Claire is playing basketball this year. She's a freshman. Uh, she's on the varsity team, which is pretty awesome. Um, the varsity team is not that great, so that's not that awesome. Uh, but uh, she's learning 
like, the one thing that she's learning is she's learning positioning. She's learning where I've got to be on every different possession. So the beginning of the year, there's all these new plays for her that were like, I don't know where I'm supposed to be. Every time Claire would go into the game, which was usually when we were up by 30 or down by 30, she would go into the game and the coach would be shouting at her, you're in the wrong spot. And the coach, like, I, I, he, I could hear him very loudly. You're not going to do, do well if you're not in the right spot. And now, like, end of the year, right, end of her freshman year, coach doesn't yell that for her anymore. She's in the right spot. She doesn't quite know what to do in her spot, I'll just be honest. Right? She, she scored in five games in a row. I'm so proud of her. She's doing great. Right? We love her, and she's, we're, we're happy for her. I, I love my daughter. Right? Uh, but she's in the right spot, but she doesn't quite know what to do. Does that make sense? But half the battle for the coach is I just got to get them in the right spot. So now that she's in the right spot, the coach is like, you got to move your feet. You got to slide. You got to stop pushing people. You got to stop, like, you got to cut to the basket off of this screen, and you got to go right off this person's back, and you're going to be wide open, right? You start to learn those things, but you cannot learn any of those things until you place yourself in the right spot. So here's my question. Are you placing yourself in a spot and in a position so that you and the people you love and your family and your kids and, 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 and your neighbors and the paralytics in your life can receive what God has for them? Because if you're not in the right spot, you're never going to win. And I don't know what that spot is for you, but God will reveal it. He's faithful and he's good, and he'll tell you what that spot is. Before Abram could become the father of many nations, he had to first position himself in the land of Canaan. Before Esther could save the Jews from being killed, she first had to position herself in the king's palace. Before little tiny Zacchaeus could see Jesus over the crowd, he had to position himself up in that tree. Before Peter and the other disciples could catch a heavy load of fish, they had to position their nets on the other side of the boat. Before Peter could walk on water, he had to position himself inside the water. Before the woman who struggled with issues of blood for 12 years could get healed, she had to position herself at the feet of Jesus. Before Jesus could reconcile us back to God and defeat the power of sin and death, he had to position himself on the cross. What is your position right now? What's the position that God is asking you to be in? Because you can't expect to get out of debt if you keep spending. You can't expect to lose weight if you never go to the gym and keep eating badly. You can't expect to hear from the Lord if you're not praying. You cannot expect to lead your friends to Christ if you never talk to them about Christ. You have to position yourself. So what does it look like for you to position yourself and for us as a congregation to position ourselves in a place where God can show up and the miracle can happen? Because here's the man laying on the mat. His sins are forgiven, but Jesus isn't done yet. And here's the reality for many of us. I think we have a cultural Christianity way more than we think that we do. I think there are many, many of you in this room who would say, I am a Christian, and the reason you say you're a Christian is because your parents knew Jesus. It's because your family knew Jesus. It's because your friends knew Jesus. It's because you have some sort of cultural Christianity, but the reality is you do not have a faith that is your own. Here's the reality for the guy on the mat. His friends brought him here but it was his choice whether he was going to get up. 
Your parents may have brought you to this place. Kids, your parents may be bringing you to church every single week, but it's your choice whether you come to know Jesus. It's your decision. It's not your parents' decision. Your spouse may make you come every single week. And you may be a really good husband or wife for showing up in here, but it's your choice whether you decide to get up. Jesus said this, but that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them. He picked up what he had been lying on, and he went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Listen, guys, this is the gospel. Every single one of us are on the mat, helpless and hopeless and in need of a Savior. And Jesus is in the room right now, guys. This room has been prayed over. The presence of God is in this space. Jesus is waiting for you to respond and is saying, stop laying on the mat and get up and really have a faith that's your own. Stop laying on the mat and being satisfied with your parents' faith or your spouse's faith or your friend's faith. Start having a faith that is all of your own. I think some of you have been saved and forgiven, but you're still laying on that mat. And he's saying, Talitha Kalum, my child, get up. Get up. There's so much more for you. There is something better for you if you would just Get up. Don't be satisfied with being forgiven. Get up off the mat and get in the game. Don't be satisfied with your sins are covered, but you don't live out your faith in any way or in any capacity. Get up off the mat and start living out your faith. Don't be satisfied with the small miracle. Get up off your mat and start praying for the next one. Don't be satisfied that you led one friend to the Lord. Get after that second one. Don't be satisfied with, I'm going to invite some people to church and start living out your faith in your own life so you don't have to bring them to church because you are the church and you've gone to them. Start living out your faith. If we want to wreck the roof, we got to get up off the mat. And if I have a picture of the American church right now, I think it's a bunch of people laying on the mat saying, woe is me. I'm so tired of hearing about Christians. We're losing. We're losing the culture wars. We're losing the whatever. We're losing. The church attendance is going down. So many churches are closing every year. There's all these things happening. Man, I don't care what happens to the institutional church, but I care what happens to the people of God. And the people of God that I spend time with and the people of God that I'm walking with on a consistent basis, man, they're off the mat And they're doing amazing things in their everyday life and in their world. And I want to be a part of a community that says, have you gotten off the mat? Because I want to stand on the side and ring the cowbell for you as you're living out your faith. We gather together in here on Sunday so that we can have direction for the rest of the week. We gather here together on Sunday so that we can have a community that cheers us on as we step into the next thing, and so that there are people who know us and walk with us and can be there. We gather here on Sunday so that we can be equipped to go to the world and get into the fight. And my great hope for Grace Marietta, guys, 
is that there would be a generation, a generation that grows up from this church who gets in the fight, who gets up off the mat and isn't satisfied with cultural Christianity and isn't satisfied with going through the motions, but says, I want to wreck the roof for Jesus. My life is a living sacrifice and it belongs to him. It was bought at a price. And so everything I have, everything I own, everything I am belongs to him. So Jesus, what's next? So we're moving to a time of communion and prayer. And, and, and here's the question that I want to ask. It's the same question I'm going to ask every single week in this series. What does wrecking the roof look like for you right now? What does it look like for you to have an extraordinary faith that gets you up off the mat and believes that God is working and doing more than you could ever hope for or ever imagine? The band's going to come and we're going to sing. There's communion stations over on the side. The prayer team is going to be here. And we're just going to open up the altars up here up front if you want to pray. And if you just want to say, I've been praying for decades, but I think my faith is getting smaller and not bigger for the thing that I've been praying for. And I just need you to grow my faith. Then come to the altar. Right? There's something that happens when we step forward. If you're out there and you're saying, I, I've been laying on the mat for a really long time and I'm here because my parents brought me here or I'm here because my spouse made me be here, but I don't have a faith of my own and I want today to be the day where salvation comes into my life and I walk out out of this place as a person who's been healed and forgiven, then I want you to find the prayer team today and I want you to pray with them. And, and, and then if, when you, as you take communion, I just want you to remember as you take the juice and as you take the, the bread and as you remember the body of Jesus that was broken and the blood of Christ that was shed for you, that there were no links that he went to, that he put on the armor, that he took the blows, that he did it all because God is worthy of our love. From you are all things and for you are things and you deserve the glory. And he invites us to live in the same way. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you teach us to be a community that sacrifices. I pray that you would teach us to be a community that loves. I pray that you would get us off the mat and into the game. I pray that you would do immeasurably more than we ever hoped for or imagined. And we thank you that you're good and that you're working and that when we get to your feet, you do amazing things. So Jesus, bless us. Grow our faith, lead us to salvation, pull us out of mediocrity, and invite us into something new. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said.